We're so thankful. If you want to turn your Bibles today to James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. We've been in a sermon series on the book of James uh, over the course of the last 12 weeks. And we're going to conclude that today with the last two verses of the book of James, for real this time. Uh, we are. Have you ever noticed that we're prone to think of one as small and insignificant? I mean, who just wants one cookie, right? <laughs> What's the value of only one dollar? Or maybe some students here can relate. How many of you would want to do extra work in a class only to get one point of extra credit? All of us here probably love vacation, but you wouldn't be very excited if you started a new job and you found out that you were only entitled to one vacation day a year. Or how would you feel if you hosted a party and only one person showed up? Often we miss the value of one because we have a desire for much more. Disciples of Jesus can often overlook the value of one as well. One invitation to church, one message of hope, one neighbor, co-worker, or friend that you share Jesus with. It's like we don't realize how big of a deal that that one can be. But the Bible consistently speaks of the value of one. One pearl of great price, one lost sheep, one wayward son, the good shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after the one. We just sang about it. The party that breaks out in heaven over one sinner saved. It's clear from a biblical standpoint that not only does one technically matter, but one is a big deal. Can you name one person that has come to Christ through your invitation or witness? Because that's a huge deal, even if it's only one. And the reality is that they say that the average Christian in America never leads one person to the Lord. And if you've never done that, if you, God's never used you in that way, make it a goal to, to find one because it'll change your life mm -hmm. as much as it changes theirs. Yep. The reality is that one doesn't seem to have much value unless it's somehow significant to us. All of a sudden, one point of extra credit matters if that point is the difference between passing and failing in class, right? One person matters a lot if that one person is your son or your daughter, and we're talking about the difference between heaven and hell. You see, one does matter, and one person really matters. At New Life, we believe that all people matter, regardless of their situation, background, or lifestyle. They matter to God, so they matter to us. Mm -hmm. So if you wonder why we give out backpacks and school supplies, why we go to football games and host tailgate parties and feed college students, why we have people that move around the world to different countries and sometimes dangerous places, it's because there's still one that hasn't heard. There's one more person that we have to get the message to. If we can reach one with a backpack or a snow cone or a burger from our grill, then it's worth it all. One matters because one person is someone's son or daughter, someone God loves, someone Jesus died for. It's a person that matters to God, so it's a person that matters to us, even if it's just one person. I said earlier, today really is the last part of our sermon series on the book of James. We've been, you know, we're, we're looking at these last two verses, and these verses are, are really powerful. And there's so much here that I hope that you get today. At one point, there was a thought of combining these two verses with last week's message and just ending last week. But I was concerned that 
in doing that, we would miss out on either what was so powerful last week or what God wants to speak to us this week through these two verses. And I believe that this message and these verses are so integral to who we want to be as a church. Not just today, not just the next several weeks, but we're going into a season that lines up with, with something bigger than just this that's happening right now or a campaign or a short-term emphasis. It speaks to purpose and vision and values of the church, really who God's called us to be. And so I didn't want to miss these two verses. So here we are in James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. We'll have it up on the screen. If you have a smartphone or tablet and you want to follow along in that way, you can on the Bible app through version. There's an, an Alive Events page, and you can follow along that way as well. We encourage you to do it and take notes there if you'd like to, or on the back of your worship guide, there's a section for taking notes, and you can do that. It says this in James 5, verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. Hold on a minute. How many should wander? If one. Remember this, verse 20 says, whoever turns a sinner, how many sinners? A, one sinner. From the error of their way, they will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I remember back in 2014, as a youth pastor, I was leading an AIM missions trip for the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God, and we had students from five churches, and we had gone to, to a remote part of Europe that's post-Christian, resistant to religion and churches and all those kinds of things and there are catholic cathedrals on just about every corner that are completely empty and virtually meaningless to their society other than for their architecture if you've been to europe recently you can probably relate there's churches everywhere so we had everything planned and prepared that day for an outreach in the park and we had done several of these we knew what we wanted to see happen we were going to create a spectacle. We were going to draw a large crowd and tell big groups of people that showed up that God was real, that he had a plan for their lives, and that he loved them. It was a great plan, but I'm not sure that it was God's plan for the next several hours. We began to set up, and we had puppets, and we had a step troop and a percussion team, and we were banging on trash cans and pots and pans and gym bays and everything you could imagine. We were doing human videos and dramas. Uh, painting faces, giving out animal balloons. We were going to draw a big crowd just like we'd done several days. The, the goal was just to make a loud noise in a park at a busy time of day and people would stop by and see. But you would have thought that we didn't wear deodorant or we were repulsive in some way because in this particular outreach, even though it was the right time of day, there was a lot of traffic, there were people everywhere, no one came. No one stopped to see what was going on. We had failed. And we were discouraged. And I was trying to, as the leader of the group, trying to spin this in a positive way. Well, you know, you win some, you lose some. You know, the, in the previous outreaches, we had a lot of people. This one, we didn't have as much. We were packing up. And we were just, no way around it. We were discouraged. But as we were packing up, four young teenage boys approached our group just as the sun was going down and began to have a conversation with several members of our team. And it started out with kind of like, you know, what the heck are you guys doing over here, you know? And slowly it evolved from that conversation to an opportunity for us to share with them about a God who's a real God and alive and loved them and had a plan for them. And they shared with us that they had been taught that life was cheap, it was meaningless, the church was pointless. They had actually been taught that they were descendants evolved from a serpent. 
But we shared with him that God that's real, that's crushed the serpent and defeated hell and had a purpose for their lives. That night, after about three hours of conversations, we were in pitch black dark at this point. After, after all these hours of conversations, we prayed for four guys. Their names are Tinguaro, Jedi, Raphael, and Joel. I'll never forget the tears running down their faces and ours as well. And that night will stick with me forever because we thought we'd failed because we didn't draw a big crowd. But the impact that we made on those four young lives, men was probably greater than the impact we'd made at any of the other places where we had drawn larger crowds. James teaches us a couple of really important things that I want to share with you today. The first of those is that it's possible to wander from the truth. James specifically talks in the beginning about someone who knew the truth of God and walked away. He said, my brothers, if any of you should wander from the truth. See, God gives us free will to accept him, but also to turn and walk away. We don't at any point in our relationship with him become slaves to something that we do not want to do. We have to remain in the truth. The Bible talks about guarding our hearts and remaining connected to the vine. These are important because it is possible to wander from truth. The second thing we learn from James is that God can use us, and he wants to use us, any one of us, to bring people to him. I love that James starts talking about prodigals and people who wander from the truth, but I love that he doesn't stop there. He expands in verse 20 beyond just the person that knows God and wanders away. And he, he expands this idea to whoever, and that means anyone that turns a sinner, not just a wanderer, but any sinner, from the error of his way is saving someone from death and covering a multitude of sins. There's a principle here that God will use us not only to bring people back to him, but to bring people to him. We've said it before, we are not a perfect church. We, we are not a church for perfect people. Neither one of those exists, perfect churches or perfect people. So we're perfect for not being perfect. <laughs> Unfortunately, not all churches realize that. And there's churches that are built on a false sense of perfect outward appearances and fake facades that paint a picture of an unrealistic and unattainable life of perfection that we will never attain. We are all sinners saved by God's grace imperfect in every way and yet God is doing a work in our lives he's doing a work in our church and he wants to use any and every one of us to bring people to him as well as back to him there's at least three kinds of people that I believe that God wants us to use wants to use us to bring to him the first of those I like to call pre-christians these are just people that don't know God yet I believe that God wants us to be a church that reaches people that are far from God that's why we exist, but I believe there's a lot of people that are far, but also a lot of people that are pretty close. They just need someone to connect the dots for them. They need an invitation to a Bible-believing church. They need to hear that God loves them and has a plan for their lives. These people are just not believers yet. God loves people, and people matter to God, so people matter to us. You may ask, what kind of people? Well, the same kind that matter to God, all of them. Are they going to come to us with these blanket labels that we put on people? That one's an atheist, that one's a homosexual, that one's a flaming liberal, and on and on and on. Well, really, they're just coming to us as people that need God in the same way that we need God. 
And we label them, we divide ourselves and all these kinds of things. But the reality is the absence of God's presence in our lives, who knows where we would be today. I'm thankful that God doesn't do that to us. God doesn't name us and call us in relation to some kind of sin in our life, but in relation to his son. My sin may not look like your sin, may not look like another person's sin, it may be a different flavor from, from someone else's sin, but the question isn't, what's the name of your sin? We all sin. God doesn't call us by our sin, he calls us by his son. Our sin doesn't define us, God's son does. So we aren't targeting sinners because we are sinners. We're a church that loves pre-Christians and pre-believers because God created each of those people for a relationship with him. They just need to get there. They just don't know him yet. Second kind of people that I believe God wants us to reach is prodigals. We will be a church that reaches those who've walked away from God. Jesus told a parable that Charles Dickens referred to as the best short story ever written in the English language. It's a story of a loving father and what many have described through the years as the prodigal son. And I believe that's a, a, an accident or, and, and not right to call it the story of the prodigal son because that's not what it is. It's actually the story of the prodigal sons. Because it's not a story of one son, it's a story of two sons. Jesus is comparing the sons and he wants us to do the same. The story of the prodigal sons goes something like this. There's a younger son that takes his inheritance from his father. He takes all of it. It's not time for him to receive it, but he, he demands it. And he goes to a far pagan country in complete rebellion of the father. And that's really... The, the matter of it all regardless of what he did he did it in rebellion of his father and he squanders everything on extravagant living he blows it all he hits rock bottom he eats with the pigs and he returns to his father the father had given his younger son everything and he knew he would waste it and yet he stands out and he looks for his son to return every day the father never left the post it was the younger son that left and when the younger son returned there he was watching and waiting. Maybe someone that needed to hear that today. It's not God that's moved when you feel alone. Sometimes it's we that have walked away. And what does the father do when he sees the son? He forgives him. He wraps his arm around him. He receives him as a son and demonstrates his love for a son that was lost but now is found. But there's another person in the story. The older brother despises the younger brother. This older brother, he thought way too highly of himself. He second-guessed the will of the father. He wasn't rejoicing at the return of the younger brother or the father's grace and forgiveness. In fact, he confronted the father. And what we see is actually that the older brother becomes the prodigal son in the story. The sad reality is that if the younger brother is the lost sinner and the loving father is God and then who is the older son? Is it us as the church? I sure hope not. In fact, we cannot be the older son. That wasn't Jesus' intention at all in the story. Jesus was comparing the older son not to the church that he was wanting to establish, but to the religious Pharisees of the day that he wanted to do away with, that held themselves up on a high pedestal of some kind of perfect specimens that were to be seen as better than everyone else that lived their religion on the outside for people to see. Jesus' intention was never to set up a church of religious phonies like the older brother, but a community of love and grace-filled people that would reflect the heart of the Father. So we have to be a church that reaches those who wander. 
We have to be a church of second chances because God is a God of second chances. We'll be a church that loves and welcomes the prodigal son home, but we must never become the prodigal son that stayed home. We are wanderers and God is a restorer. We need to have the heart of the Father. So we're going to reach pre-Christians, we're going to preach prodigals, but we're also going to reach people inclined to doubt and differences. We will be a church that reaches people different than us, that prays for people that think differently than we do, that doubt the things that we believe. Are there people in your life that deny the existence of God and doubt significantly about Jesus and believe differently? We should probably just forget about that person. They've gone too far for God to do anything in their lives, right? Absolutely not. My challenge to you is not to write them off, but to pray for them all the more. And to love them all the more and speak the truth to them in love all the more. And to share what God is doing in your life all the more. Some of the greatest Christian apologists and defenders of the faith began as skeptics and doubters. That as they really investigated the truth about God and His Word and His Son, they were left with no choice but to believe. So love them in their differences and love them to the truth. How can this happen? How will we see pre-Christians and prodigals and people inclined to doubt and differences change in our community? Well, it's through the gospel, which is a word that literally means good news. The good news about Jesus makes a difference. And I want to share with you three ways that the gospel makes a difference. And the first of those is that the gospel makes it personal. In Romans 12, Paul tells us not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed. We're familiar with this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, because he goes on to say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Some of you are more familiar with the, the saying, the old, have passed, old things have passed away, behold, all things are made new. What is that? It's transformation. The gospel makes it personal through transformation. What is awesome is that we're not a part of some empty religious checklist of rules. We don't just follow the rules and hope to make the cut. Jesus is a personal Savior that wants a personal relationship with us. Today, we, every person here has either had the opportunity to already know Jesus and the gospel has transformed your life, or you're a pre-Christian and, and we can have the opportunity at any time to make that happen. There isn't something outdated and theoretical that happened a long time ago that we, we just look at. It's something personal that's happening now and ongoing in our lives. It's a transformation process. Jesus didn't come to live and die so that we could learn to behave a little bit better. He came to give us new life in Christ to completely transform who we are. And if you've not experienced new life and transformation, I encourage you, don't wait another day. There's nothing like it. Makeover shows and reality TV are really popular in our society today. It's one of the most popular forms of entertainment. In fact, since HGTV launched in 1994, it's become the fourth most watched cable network in the world. How many of you contribute to that? Some of you are like, yep. It's all based on the idea that people can upgrade a house and improve their life. Or they can lose a lot of weight and they can save their lives. But most people watch makeover shows and view it almost as a fairy tale or wishful thinking or something that they would never be able to experience themselves. 
if we're honest, let's be real. How many of you have ever watched The Biggest Loser or some show like that while you're kicking back eating ice cream? It's the best way to do it, right? And we do it for a couple of reasons. We do it because it's a fairy tale. That could never happen to us. That transformation isn't real. That's too hard. And we do it because we compare ourselves to those people where we're like, well, I'm not 500 pounds. I'm only 250 pounds. So let's eat another ice cream tub, you know? We're not as bad as they are. So we sit back with our arms crossed and like, that's not real. That's not for us. That's not possible to happen in my life. Well, God's gift to us through the gospel, it's not a fairy tale or a dream. It's a personal gift of transformation to us that we can receive and we can experience firsthand. In fact, that's what God desires. Yet how many times do we sit back with arms crossed and say, that can never happen to me. That's a fairy tale. That's a distant dream. All the while, God says, hey, I want to transform your life. I want to make it personal in you. We must be a church, first and foremost, that's changed and transformed through the power of Jesus. We can't give to others what we don't have. Backpacks alone won't change Laramie, no matter how many we give out. If we haven't been changed and allowed the power of God to transform us, we have nothing to give. But the love of God transforms lives. And then when we live that out, God can use anything. He can use a backpack. He can use a hamburger. He can use a smile. The gospel makes it personal. Not only does the gospel make it personal through transformation, the gospel makes it possible. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for some people, Right? For a couple people, for a few select people that get on a reality show, I'm just going to pick a few and show them off. No, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for everyone who believes. The gospel makes it possible because God empowers us. The gospel empowers us to transform lives. New Life Church exists so the people far from God can experience new life in Christ. That experience is going to happen as we become empowered to reach our community. That's one of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit is to go and to be witnesses, to fulfill the great commission that God gave, not to pastors, not to missionaries, to all believers, to go and reach people. Remember, James said, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now wait, I know what you're thinking. We, we can't save anybody. We can't forgive. We can't atone for sin. Only God can do those things. So how could James say that we do it? That's a sovereign work of God, and that's true, but God empowers us. And I want to illustrate it for you in this way. Let's say you happen upon a car accident in the middle of the night, and there's no one around. The passengers in the car are severely injured, and you get them out of the car, you put them in your car, and you rush them to the hospital where doctors and surgeons saved them from injuries that would have taken their lives. In fact, had they stayed there any longer, had they waited for an ambulance, they would have died. Your action in getting them to where they needed to be saved their lives as much as the doctors and the medical care. The doctors and the surgeons, the medical care, that's what prevented them from dying, but they would have never received that care unless someone got them there. I want you to know there's people in need of a relationship with Jesus, but someone needs to get them there. Someone has to tell them. Someone has to invite them. And the gospel empowers us to do that. 
Now that's not the perfect example because in the story the driver and the doctor work independently of each other. But where God is concerned, he's not just saying, you're on your own, get them to me somehow. God's the one that empowers us. It would be like the surgeon saying to us, there's really been a bad wreck and, and I love these people and I don't want them to die. I want them to live and I already have everything prepared to save their lives. You just get them here, get them to me, and not only that, but here, take my car. Here's my surgeon BMW. Go and, and do whatever you need. Get these people that I love to me so that they can be saved. Whatever I have is yours. Whatever you need, I'm giving it to you. Get them to me so I can save their lives. That's the kind of God that we serve. God wants to empower us and use us in the process. And the reality is the church is not a museum for saints to look back on what God did in the past. It needs to be a hospital for the sick and hurting that need God to do something in their lives today so that we can point to and say, not only did God do this in the Bible times, not only did he do this in my past, not only did he do it at First Assembly of God in Laramie, Wyoming in 1932, but look what God has done today. Look at the lives that he's continuing to transform in our community. If a hospital is what the church is intended to be, then that means we don't turn anyone away no matter how sick or infected they are. This is where they belong. God just needs us to be ambulance drivers, and he wants to empower us to reach lost people where they are and get them to where they need to be. There's nothing that's impossible for God. Thank God that nobody wrote us off when we were lost and so far and separated from him. The gospel makes it possible. It empowers us. Finally, I want you to know that the gospel not only makes it personal, it not only makes it possible, but the gospel makes it a priority. I love quotes from missionaries, and one of my favorite that maybe you've heard before, or maybe not, is from Carl F.H. Henry, and he said that the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Remember that James said, if you turn a sinner from the error of his way, you're saving him from death. There's an urgency to this that what we have has the power to save lives and transform others in the way that we've been transformed. It's literally a matter of life and death. I don't know if we always understand the priority and the urgency that there is, and the difference that it makes, but the gospel makes it a priority because it compels us. Romans, or 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, Paul said, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that Jesus died for a couple people, for the people that already are making it inside the church. No, Jesus died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The gospel compels us makes it a priority in our lives. The gospel makes the good news a priority. There's people that are in need. There's people that have never heard the good news about Jesus. There's people that have never experienced the love of God or seen someone that authentically lives out what it means to be a Christian. There's too many older brothers and not enough people that are imitating the love of the Father. The gospel compels us to love others, to love our neighbors, to love those who are different than us, and even to love our enemy. The gospel compels us to live as Jesus lived, not enslaved to sin and the things of this world, but to show a different way. The gospel compels us to speak life. Remember that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world would be saved. Do our words match that? Are we giving living water that satisfies every thirst, or do we 
approach it all from a negative lens. If we've been convinced that Jesus died for all, and if his love compels us not only to live for ourselves, but to live for God, then what we've learned from the book of James over the last 12 weeks tells us that we should quit talking about it, quit being hearers of the word, and begin to do it. Begin to put the faith in action and begin to start living it. James knew exactly where he was going when he was writing this letter to Christians that were scattered all over the world. He knew that he was going to start out talking about people in trials and tribulations and people that would walk away and people that would have these different issues and various problems and controlling their tongue and all these issues that we've talked about. And it would lead some to walking away. And he didn't come at it as strong as he was through all of James. The places where he wrote that if you're, if you're not living it, if you're just hearing it and not doing it, then you're really not a believer. As strong as he was, he ends the book encouraging people to go after those who wander, to save people's soul from death. It was so important from him. He knew this would be a priority. At the same time, we're concluding a series on James that's been powerful and challenging us to action. And we're also putting faith into action and declaring that we're going to be a church that reaches people far from God. Jesse, if you go ahead and come and just begin to play softly. I was challenged as I was preparing this sermon over the last several weeks, and I was challenged with this. There's a lot of churches that have the name New Life on the door. There's a lot of churches that have the name New Life on the sign. But on the inside, it's the same old dead as a doorknob place. On the inside, it couldn't be further from the truth. I don't want to be a part of that. And neither do your neighbors, and neither do your kids, or your grandkids, or your co-workers. They want something authentic. They want new life for real. They're not looking for a place that says it on the sign, and says it on the door, but doesn't live it out on the inside. I keep hearing over and over again that there's enough churches in Laramie, that there's too many churches in Laramie, and it makes me want to scream because all I see is about 30,000 people that need Jesus in Laramie. And I think we need some churches in Laramie that will not only have new life in their name and, and new life on the sign and new life on the door, but they'll have new life as their mission, and they'll put new life into practice, and they'll see new life happen as they bring people to Jesus. You see, we aren't in competition with all the other churches in town. But if I can have a shot at putting hell out of business in Laramie, then sign me up. And let's partner with every person and every church and anyone that will stand beside us in reaching Laramie for Jesus. And that's exactly what we want to do. That's exactly the kind of church that we want to be. And we're going to do it one person at a time until every person's been reached. Because every single one matters to God. We started today talking about that. We talked about how often we, even as the church, can overlook the value of one. But one matters. Even one person matters to God, and it should matter to us as a church. So today I want to challenge you to take personal responsibility for one. And my question to you today is, who's your one? One person that doesn't know God yet. One person... They aren't just a sinner, they're a pre-Christian because God's going to use you. They just haven't accepted God yet. 
God's going to use you to get them to him. Who's your one person that maybe is a wanderer or a prodigal that's walked away from God and other people maybe have given up on him? Other people have said, you know what? Let him go. Why, why, are, you, why are you going after that one? But we're in need of people that have the heart of the Father that say that prodigal matters to God. They seem impossible but nothing and no one is impossible for God and he's going to empower you to bring them to him. Maybe you're one as a person that doubts and is inclined to differences and it seems so impossible. It seems like they're so far away, but nothing is impossible for God. He's transformed us. He's empowered us and the gospel compels us in an urgent way to take the message of life to people. It should not be said of us that Never have we ever reached one when the final challenge that God gave us was to go and make disciples. Will you be intentional? That means you have to put the faith into action. Just do it isn't a, a Nike slogan. It's how communities are changed. It's how great churches are built as people no longer live only for themselves, but they begin to live for God and, and they're willing to, to love God and love others and jump in and do something. Will you not only be intentional, will you be accountable? Will, when someone asks you, have you invited your one? Have you prayed for your one? Have you shared what God is doing in your life? Have you had a meaningful spiritual conversation with your one? Or are you still just talking about the Broncos every time you see it? How to press it. <laughs> Will you mature as a disciple maker? That wasn't a command to pastors and missionaries and to Paul. It was a command for every believer. That as you go to your Jerusalem, to your Judea, to your Samaria, and even as you go to the ends of the earth, that you would take the gospel, the good news of Jesus proclaim that and you would be a witness to that and that you would bring people to him. The Great Commission was Jesus' command to us and our instructions before he left earth and one day we're going to stand before God and we'll give an account for how we loved God, for how we loved people and if we really loved people did we reach them and bring them to Jesus because it's hard for me to be convinced that you love someone that you're unwilling to share say is the most important thing in our lives and last words final words usually have important significance and I, I definitely think that Jesus final words did to us today I've got just something simple that I want to give you I'm gonna ask a couple people to help simple. There's nothing amazing or mind-blowing about this. But I'm challenging you and I'm asking you, who's your one? And this bookmark right here, I want it to be a reminder of who your one is. There's a spot there for you to write a name. And maybe you already know exactly who that person is. Maybe you have no idea who it is. Maybe over the next couple minutes, God's going to reveal that to you. Or maybe it's going to take longer than that and in your prayer time or your time with him or maybe while you're driving down the road it's just gonna put it in your spirit but I believe you're gonna know 
who that person is. And over here, there's some areas for you to begin to read some scriptures and pray for that person. And this is intended just to be a bookmark. And so you can put it wherever you're going to see it often. For me, it's probably going to be on the refrigerator because I frequent that. <laughs> you can put it in your Bible, but if you don't read your Bible, then don't put it there because you're never going to see it. We'll talk about reading the Bible more often in another another time in another place you need to do that but for now if you're not reading your bible then don't put it there put it somewhere you're going to see it some of you that's going to be on the mirror because you sure look there enough too bad we can't attach this to our selfie camera put it somewhere you're going to see it put it somewhere you're going to remember and make a commitment to this over the next 30 days we're going to believe we're going to pray and believe god for people in Laramie. In addition to this, we're going to have resources on our website, our social media. You'll see all that. There's prayer guides. There's all kinds of stuff. There's how you can engage in a spiritual conversation. It's really pretty simple. Stop talking about the Broncos. Say something about what God's done in your life. It's pretty simple. God will use those conversations more than you can ever imagine. You can sit in your room and dream up how it's going to be and what you need to say. Just open your mouth and speak and let God do the rest. He's not asking you to be the world's greatest preacher or missionary or apostle. He's just asking you to be willing to plant seeds and to bring people to him. One other thing that we want to do, a couple other things that we want to give you is some resources that we're believing over the next 30 days will be a tool for you. On some of the chairs around you, we got more of these in the back. There's a card right here. This one's just for you and Jesus. I'm never going to ask you to see it. It's just between you and him. This is for you to pray, for you to remember, for you to make a, a priority of that one person. This one's for you and the one person. You can take this card. It's super simple. It's nothing special. It says you're invited to sit with me. You can put your name if you want to do that, and you can put the service that they attend. If you, put, if you don't put the service you attend and they show up at 8.30 in the morning and you're not there, they'll be like, Morgan invited me to come to a church she doesn't even attend. What's up with that? So let them know your name and the service that they can attend so they can sit with you. Pray over this. Say, God, I don't know where this is going to end up, how you're going to use this, but God, I pray that it would just be what I need. Because if you don't have the words to say, hopefully you know your name and you can write which service you attend. And that's going to be a reminder to you, I better go to church because I invited that person couple other things we want to give you. September 8th is College Sunday. We do this at the beginning of every school year. We want to reach students, not only the ones that come to town that already know Jesus are looking for a church. That's fine. They're welcome. But we want to reach students that need Jesus. And so on September 8th is College Sunday. As we always do on that day, we're going to have a free lunch for college students after the 11 a.m. service. Those of you that attend college, you're there. Begin to invite. We're going to have events up on social media. You can share that. We'll have cards next Sunday for this for you to invite people. It tells them to come get their free lunch. It's going to be awesome. We'll fire up the grill. It'll be amazing. That service is going to be a special service, not only for college students. Everybody can attend. It's church. But we're putting an emphasis on that's College Sunday because it's, it's the beginning of a, a school year. And Kat and Jared that were with us last year, they're a worship team. Jared Hartman was the guitar player for Flyleaf. Some of you know that band back in the day. 
They're now a part of a worship project. We're going to be giving them the whole service, and they're going to do worship and ministry. God used them powerfully when they were here about a year ago. In fact, part of the reason that Ryan is here today is because somebody invited Ryan and said, Hey, you like rock music? Well, there's a guitar player from a rock band, and they're really not doing rock and roll anymore, but they're, they're a part of this worship thing, and it's going to be at our church. Would you come? And, and Ryan, that was the first time you showed up here, and God used that in a powerful way. Now, I know it's, you're going to find it hard to believe Ryan's not even a college student. God can use it. September 15th, the very next Sunday, it's National Back to Church Sunday. And you know what? There's people in Laramie. They got busy over the last eight to ten weeks this summer, and they got out of the habit of going to church. And this is an opportunity for you to say, hey, you know what? Summer's over. We're going back to school, and we're going back to church. The last eight to ten weeks have been busy. You got out of your routines. Come back to church. You're welcome. We want you to come and be a part. And there's also people that over the last eight to ten to twelve years have gotten busy, and they've gotten out of church, and they've wandered. Maybe they're the prodigal, and it's time for us to say, hey, you know what? It's time to come back to church. You're welcome. We love you. We want you there. Come on. Use that as a tool. And there's going to be events on social media. There's going to be opportunities. September 15th is about 30 days from where we are today. And it's also going to be a celebration Sunday. And so we're going to have opportunities for people to be baptized. If you're interested in being baptized, you can sign up to do that. If you want to become a member of New Life Church, We'd love for you to do that. If you have a child that needs to be dedicated, we're going to celebrate all those things. But we're not only going to celebrate what God's done over the last few months. I believe that as you invite, as you pray for your one, as you extend some invitations, as God empowers you to go and invite, then we're going to be celebrating what God's going to do that day of people coming to him. And we're going to reach our community because there's people that are in need of what we have. Well, we can't sit here and hog it for ourselves and just enjoy the presence of God and just say, well, what a great day. I can't wait till next Sunday and come back alone. There's people that need it. And God wants to use you in the process. I want to pray for you. God, this church is yours. It belongs to you. And we declare that not only does this church belong to you, but Laramie belongs to you. And so we set our sights on every home. On every school, we set our sights on the University of Wyoming and every workplace and every person. Each one of them matters to you, so they matter to us. And we put hell on notice today that we won't stop until everyone knows Jesus. God, today we take personal responsibility. Your command to us was to take the good news to the world and make disciples. And we're going to start across the street. We're going to start in our schools and in our own homes and in our neighborhoods. And God, I pray that every person in this church, I pray for the names that they've written down or the ones that they're going to write. I pray that we would have a sense of urgency and that the gospel would compel us that we can't keep it to ourselves any longer. God, this isn't a personality thing. This isn't an extrovert versus an introvert thing. There's people just like us that are all around us that need what we have. And God wants to use us. So Lord, use us. Use our unique personality. Use the way that you put us together to reach people that are just like us that are in need of, of your presence in the same way that we are in need of your presence.
presence. Help us to be a church that lives up to the vision of new life in Christ or there we went. We thank you for it. Thank you that someone cared enough to share with us or bring us. Lord, let us be a church that cares about every single one, that every life matters. today to talk about transformation and about reaching people for Christ and not giving an opportunity to begin a relationship with Christ. And so I want to do that here this morning. Today, maybe you walked in this place and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord. You've never began a relationship with him. He, he wasn't the Lord of your life when you walked in here today and he never has been. You're pre-Christian. You just haven't experienced God's presence yet leave here today without it. Or maybe you at one point you were in a right relationship with God but you know that you've wandered away to a far country that you're a prodigal. Today we want you to know that God loves you. He's standing right where you left him ready to welcome you back. Today we're going to just pray a simple prayer and I'm going to invite everyone here to do this. There's nothing magical or special about these words. We're simply putting the Bible into practice where it says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's not the end. It's the beginning of the relationship with him that will last for the rest of your life. Our desire is that people would become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And it begins with making him the Lord of our lives and surrendering to him. So I invite you, whether you've ever prayed this prayer before, never have, or even Away, will you pray with us today? I invite everyone here to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving me. And while I was far away in sin, at that moment, you demonstrated your love by sending Jesus to die for me. Today I accept Jesus. As my Lord and Savior. I believe when He died on the cross, He died for my sin. And today I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just respecting the privacy of others, just between them and God. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, and you know when you came in, you weren't in a right relationship with God, but you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then now you are. Would you just slip your hand up and say, today I made Jesus the Lord of my life. Is there anyone here today? Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else today? I prayed that prayer and made Jesus the Lord of my life. That's awesome. Would you put your hands together and thank God for lives that have changed and transformed? We can do better than that because the Bible says that for every one person that makes that decision, it sets off a party in heaven. So we can get excited about more than one today. In fact, today, about six people between the two services made that decision. So come on, would you put your hands together and get excited? We just believe more of that to happen. That's what this is about. Lives changed and transformed. Will you do it? Will you make it a priority? allow God to use you. Maybe it seems like the scariest thing in the world to you. As scary as it is, I can't tell you how exciting it is.
when the person whose name you write there prays that prayer or sits up here at a baptismal tank committing their life to the Lord and you see their life be transformed. God wants to use you to do that. He wants to use all of us. I don't care. I don't have to baptize them. You come baptize them. You prayed for them. You brought them to Jesus. Let's make it happen. Let's create a culture that says we care about every person. We're going to reach every person.